0: Today's podcast is presented to you by Unicorn.com, the premier esports betting site. Use the code Drafts when you log in today to get 75 free unicorns that you could spend on all of the smart money bets we love to recommend on this podcast. And who knows, maybe you'll win the Logitech G910 Keyboard. That is currently on auction today. Anything is possible, but make sure you use the code ROUGHDRAFTS to get your free 75 unicorns to play along with the pod. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Retcher king Wasenaar. I am the Editor-in-Chief and Analyst for Imperial Esports. and Welcome to another edition of the Rough Drafts podcast, where the only thing rougher than our pick-and-ban phase is us trying to keep up with all of the games that are going to be happening this week and still managing to get some sleep in at some point. It is a very busy week in the League of Legends world. So busy, in fact, that... I am going to have to be joined by Walter C. Fedchuk, my good friend and a writer at Slingshot Esports, at least three times this week to break down all of the insanity. Walter, how are you doing, man? Sleep? What is sleep? I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I used to know it back in the day, but the, it's escaped me now. That is. Is, that, is, it, is that that thing we haven't had since middle school? Yeah, I vaguely remember something called sleep back in the day, but there's no time for that nowadays. There's so much League of Legends up in the air. And the first place we have to start is the North American LCS Promotion Series. Now, obviously, when the Challenger Series playoffs went down, there were a lot of interesting storylines. TDK obviously making a big roster change right before the tournament. Ember with so much money and everything on the line their subsequent folding, Liquid Academy, and everything that organization's been through. So, Walter, outside of the teams that we're going to be talking about later in this podcast, what were your biggest takeaways from this Challenger Series playoffs?
1: Uh, I think the two best teams actually got through. Um, The TDK changes were interesting and were mainly to help Renegades out um Ninja and Seraph. Although Seraph didn't play very well in the Challenger series, it seemed like he he had this weird switch where when he was on the LCS stage he played well and the second he was like back home at his own computer he didn't play well. So so we'll see how that goes. Ninja obviously played very well for Renegades during the last couple weeks. Alex Each is continuing his run of being the gatekeeper of Challenger and, and boosting teams into the LCS. So we'll see if he's able to accomplish that one more time with TDK. And, and then on the other side with Apex Chris, it's, it's the same story. He boosts teams in the LCS and then is
0: the 10th best top leader in the LCS on the 10th best team. It is one of those interesting things. And when I look at both of these series that we saw in the semifinals for this Challenger series, it's, you know, Dragon Knights, I really do feel like they were outplaying Ember from start to finish. Even in the game that Ember won, there were a lot of mistakes, a lot of getting caught out that never should have happened. And if Nautilus hadn't been so tanky, then things might have turned the other way. But from that point forward, TDK just demonstrated a better understanding of how to play the map, how to pull off pick and ban. And that's one of the things that I think has made Apex such an incredibly interesting team going into the promotion tournament is that their pick and ban has been very brilliant. They ha- they show a really good understanding of how to combine peel and hard CC in order to, get away with the split-pushing, faster-paced meta that has come to dominate the League of Legends scene. And it always felt whether it was against Team Liquid Academy, who, man, Fabi tried so hard. He really did. I feel like Fabi would be like Otter, that we all want him to get in, but when he actually got there, we'd be disappointed at how things actually turned out. But you gotta feel something for the guy after how much he put into this series. And it just didn't matter because Keen is a Switchblade that can play everything. And the Apex just outsmarted them. And in the same way, they outsmarted Dragon Knights. It felt like the seeding worked out exactly the way it should. And it's the opposite feeling that I had from Europe. With Europe, I felt like we were watching two teams that had finagled their way into this series and were then subsequently weeded out as they should have been by the LCS teams that had previously been there. Here, I think there's an actual shot to having these teams advance. Well, I guess, Walter, at the end of the day, do you think there's anything particular about these teams that allowed them to play up to their potential in the way that we didn't see teams like Inspire and Millennium do in Europe? I think TDK figured out a very cheesy strategy and I think Apex figured out
1: uh, some cheese that teams just weren't ready for. I, obviously, with TDK, it was playing the Nautilus mid lane. Uh, Alex each showing the depth of his champion pool and playing basically a protect OHQ comp. Literally just protect our vain eighty carry with two tanks, uh, with three tanks. And, you know, one game it was a Gragas, the next game it was a an Elise and and Ember just had no way of adapting and no way of figuring out how to get on top of that vein. It was very one track uh, pick and band style. And then the same thing kind of with TLA. I'll give TLA a little bit more credit because they lost their carry. They lost their superstar. I, I think it was Zyrene who mentioned, or maybe it was Freak during the, the Team Liquid games against Energy that at one point Dardoch said he loved playing with Youngbin because he Youngbin would just give him all of his blue, all the blue buffs, and missing out on that type of carry. Acadian is a decent jungler, and I give him a lot of credit from shifting from top lane from last year into the jungle role. Um, but he's just not Dardock, and and that team desperately needed a secondary carry to help Fabi and, and Zig and Youngbin aren't those types of players. They're very utility, very supportive style players, and Apex was just able to take advantage of that and and brought out this graves mid lane that no one could do anything against it was very tanky it was very kind of showy and from there liquid academy had to account for it and apex just had a better understanding of the meta and then going into the game against tdk they knew that ohq was tdk's primary carry and they did everything they could to shut him down and successfully shut him down so I think it was an excellent performance from Apex. Excellent strategy and pick ban from Saint Vicious, and I
0: really can't wait to see what he has in store for us. It's kind of ironic when you look at the way that Twitter analysts break down the differences between North America and Europe. And Esportspedia did a great April Fool's joke with it, where they had North America listed as an international wildcard region. Which I—it's the only April Fool's joke that I actually enjoyed this year. It, but it. It is one of those things where there's this prevailing idea that North America is where you go when you want to see crazy games and a whole bunch of kills are happening. And, you know, it's just an, an intense and in relying on mechanical outplays in order to seal the day. And Europe's supposed to be this more cerebral, more macro oriented play. And I think one of the things that really hurt the Copenhagen Wolves and Huma are that they did rely on individual outplays in order to succeed. Neither one of those teams were particularly macro-focused. And one of the reasons I'm so looking forward to this particular tournament is that I think both TDK and Apex are more macro-oriented. And maybe it's just that they have experience on their roster. Apex obviously has St. Vicious as a coach, a guy who has been a great mind within the scene for a while now, regardless of what you may think about him as a player or him as a person. His coaching understanding cannot be underestimated. And with Dragon Knights, this is an organization that, you know, has previous LCS experience. They have dedicated coaches, a a very big staff that has worked very hard on instilling the kinds of discipline that you need. And at the end of the day, it makes them a much more interesting threat for these North American teams that will play them in the tournament. But before we get to the tournament, Walter, I think we need to talk about the best way that fans who are hoping to see how these challenger teams will match up against these bottom-of-the-barrel LCS teams can find the information that they need. i just off the top of your head, Walter. Where do you think these people should go? You surely
1: could not be talking about my secret to all of our success in gambling, why eSports fans, that would that would just definitely not be where they would go, right?
0: You know, I think they should go to eSports fans, believe it or not. And not just because it's so clearly laid out and the graphics are quite nice to look at, whether you're on the team page and looking at all the different statistics on First Dragon, First Baron, all these objectives that can be measured and looking at how they compare to the average that we would see from teams within their own region, but also just individual player pages. A lot of these guys, we have advanced info on what it is they do, what they like to play, and from there we can make inferences as to how they're going to fit in in the meta, whether you want to go all in and get some really in-depth knowledge of what these teams are capable of, or whether you just want a quick refresher, some quick little graphic you can use in order to get a better handle on things as a casual, fun-loving fan of the game. Esports Fans has what you're looking for. They are an analytics network specializing in esports metagame statistics, providing all of these wonderful things for you guys. You should visit Esports Fans. That's fans with a Z or a Z at the end, depending on whether you studied in the UK like myself or not. .com. Go check it out. Uh, we really like the what they 've been doing over there. I think there have been some developments that are coming out soon that we 're very excited about uh, so you guys should definitely keep your eye on that page and the uh The wonderful stats that they continue to bring us as we get closer and closer to advanced metrics becoming a new and powerful thing in the scene. But you know who else is a new and powerful thing in the scene? Your boy trance. Trance versus Kiwi Kid in the battle of supports oh. that are after your heart. Oh, in this why, TDK why? Dignitas series.
1: Why would you That was a low blow. That's a low blow right there going after two of my favorite unheralded stars. There's no hype around them. I'm going to build the hype for them. These two supports are awesome and if Trance doesn't make it into TDK, any team that needs a support player go look tip if you guys make it back in move gate into top lane and go get this kid he is phenomenal and i can't wait to see what he does actually up on the big stage granted against apex they got a little you know a little fangled little messed up but this kid is gonna bring it and kiwi kid i know i've had your back for like two years you better watch it because this kid
0: is coming for you i tell you what yeah it's funny because I think a lot of this series really will come down to the bot lane. More specifically, whether Dignitas can adjust to it. You look at OQ and, and the games that TDK won and looked the most impressive on, you're looking at a double tank comp from Alex Itch and Flares and letting OQ play the vein and just hard carry from there. And given the prevalence of siver comps and the... Kind of ch- uh, champions that we've seen Apollo play throughout the LCS, I don't see that being any less viable on this current patch. I have a very good feeling that TDK is going to want to bring that same style again. And it leaves Apollo and Kiwi Kid as a duo lane that needs to make plays early and often. Because if you let OQ scale, that's when you start getting into dangerous territory with TDK. Now, unfortunately for TDK, there are some significant weaknesses to this team, even though we do love that bot lane and, and gave them a shout out there. What are you most concerned about when looking at where TDK is and how they're going to try to play this tournament?
1: My problem with TDK is that outside of OHQ, they don't really have a carry. Kez, Alex each flares. They're mostly utility focused, and, and Flares and Alex have both shown throughout their careers recently, we'll say the last year or so, that they do have moments where they can carry. You can get Alex each on Ezreal or Corky, and he can he can carry on an eighty carry. Uh, but for the most part, they're they're really utility kind of focused guys. You really want to use them to fill in the cracks on your team to make sure that you have enough CC, make sure you have a heavy tank, make sure you have plenty of wards. Corkez, I love the dude. I love him. But he's he wards, ward, 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 sightstone, ward, sightstone, ward. That's his stick. That's what he does. That's great when you have that around a couple of carries, but who is gonna be the secondary carry for this team? OHQ was phenomenal in the series against Ember when they went to that that like four-tank composition and just let him carry. You're not gonna be able to get away with that kind of composition against Dignitas or against Renegades if they make it past Dignitas you're getting into the big boys club here and you're not going to be able to exploit that kind of style. You really need to have someone else show up. And my question is, I don't know if it's going to be flares or Alex and they need to figure out in this meta which one is it going to be flares is least likely because you're really seeing as as you saw in the playoffs, the quarterfinals for both NA and EU this past week, it's really going heavy tank. It's really going to your Maokai's your Nautilus, your poppy. I really thought trundle was going to be a big pick and just like, everyone just banned it. It was either banned or they like took it as a support pick when they got a poppy. So it's really tank focused in the top lane. I don't think Flares that's not his bread and butter. He's definitely more of a carry kind of player, mm-hmm. but they need to figure out how they want to play. Is he going to go to Echo, which we saw had some success into those tanks? Are they gonna maybe pull out a rumble into Maokai, which if you remember a year ago, that was one of like the better matchups against a Maokai was you just play Rumble and let the Rumble free farm. So I'm very curious to see what TDK comes up with to supplement OHQ as a carry.
0: Yeah. As someone who's now running pick and band for my own organization, I do find it very interesting that the challenge that TDK has been presented because There's always a big difference between the best way to execute something and the best way to execute something given the players that you have. And the problem I have with flares more than anything, especially in these playoff series, there were so many times he went in with no follow-up where he would just basically give up a free kill because he felt like he had the ability to get the stun. He felt safe on whatever tank he was put on. And that's something that, Dignitas will almost assuredly take advantage of. Shifter is still a very talented mid laner, even if he has some significant holes in his game. And if you look at Dignitas, again, we're going to refer back to that Steve Kafmeyer list that he gave us that we referenced in the last podcast about win expectancy rates. Dignitas played like a much better team than their record would indicate. And you got to imagine if Flares can't keep his head on straight, And Alex Itch can't take a step forward, which at this point in his career, it's hard to imagine him doing so, then it does leave them open to what Dignitas is going to try to throw their way. On the other hand, though, this is a Dignitas team that, even though on paper it feels like they should be better than they are, they did finish 10th place in North America for a reason. It hasn't been going great in recent weeks. Walter, what does this team need to do to turn their fate around and make sure they get into the double elimination part of this bracket? Dignitas needs to
1: kind of stay with the same style that's worked for them all year. It's this very methodical kind of laid-back style in the early game with Shifter and Apollo. Let them scale up, and Kyrie and Billy Boss need to work together to get Billy Boss ahead of the opposing top lane. What that then allows them to accomplish is they can do one of two things. They can set Billy Boss on kind of a split-push style, which is going to be, you know, let, let's say he's on a Poppy. There are very, very few counters right now into Poppy outside of Trundle, and Trundle kind of does the same thing, where if you can get a little bit of a lead one kill you know, 15 20 cs once you start building on top of that lead you dictate what the opposing top laner is going to do if you're off in a side lane split pushing that top laner needs to come match you or you're going to build you know slow push a wave and crash that into a tower you're dictating that at some point the opposing top laner has to go to that lane whether it's immediately to contest your farm and make sure you don't build up a slow push, whether it's a minute later when that slow push finally crashes into the tower, you're telling him, you need to come here and take care of this farm. Conversely, you can also do the opposite of, you can constantly group with your team and allow those slow pushes to happen and give that opposing top laner a choice. Either go get your farm or else you're going to fall further behind me, or you need to group up and not have your team 4v5. And Billy Boss and Kira have shown a couple of times that they're able to accomplish this. Uh, Kira and Smitty J were able to accomplish that way back in like week one or two, week one I believe it was, against Darshan and CLG, where Kira kind of camped the lane and got Smitty J to the point where Darshan couldn't really 1v1 him. And Smitty J was able to direct the flow of what Darshan was able to accomplish. Against TDK, which is a weaker team than CLG on paper, you should be able to do the same thing, and I think that's what Dignitas needs to do, is play through that top lane, allow Billy Boss, while he's not you know, the best top laner in existence, give him the tools that he can direct what Flares is able to do, and he's able to dictate the pace of that solo lane, and allow Shifter and Apollo to slowly scale their way up like they've done all year.
0: Yeah, and this is another opportunity for Kirae, which is a name that we haven't mentioned in a while, because... He went from being very exciting in week one to being very, very, very not by the end of the season. But if ever there was going to be a series where he was going to step up, Kez is not a guy that puts a lot of lane pressure on. And as you've said, the solo lanes are going to be so important for Dignitas. This is where Kirei, if he starts playing you know, the Kindred, the Graves, the kind of very aggressive junglers that we've been seeing pop up in Korea time and time again now maybe there's a difference. Now maybe he can be the guy that we were hoping he would be and can help turn around some of these solo lanes into Dignitas's favor. My biggest thing is going to be whether Dignitas has figured out the macro play because this is something that as much as Pythagorean scores are something we like to talk about and how much we like win expectancy because it shows how good a team actually is given the limited sample size. On the other hand, how many times have we been here with Dignitas where they've lost games that they should have won because they made bad calls at Baron Pits or Dragon Fights or just in general poor macro play? And that's something where they have to make sure that they're on point and they're making the the right calls. Because maybe a team that was in the position that they were time and time again this season doesn't blow as many of those games because they have guys who are calm under pressure and don't have that looming cloud over their shoulder of, oh my God, we're Dignitas. This is when we Dignitas the game away. I want to see if they stand up to it, especially in the elimination round where everything is on the line for an organization that just has so much history behind it. Walter, I know that this is not a Guess the lines week but do you care to guess what the line is for this series? I'm gonna say it's Dignitas at minus 165. Very close. It's Dignitas minus 172, which I think is astonishingly reasonable.
1: I think it's very reasonable. Um, I think TDK takes the series. I think <laughs> TDK takes this as a five-game series. I feel like they're very similar in terms of wh- what the teams are like, how impactful how impactful the the solo laners are and the eighty carries are, I think OHQ gives TDK that slight advantage Mm -hmm. over Apollo. If they get in a 2v2 scenario, OHQ is very similar to Piglet, where he is going to take everything. If he can kill you, he's going to kill you. If not, he's just going to take all the farm he can. And I think TDK understands that we need to play through OHQ. We're going to give him the farm, we're going to set him up to succeed, even if it means Flaris gives up a little bit of extra CS or a little bit of extra gold, if Alex has to give up a little bit of extra CS or a little bit of extra gold. I think Trance and OHQ play very, very well together, and they can be very aggressive. Trance is a very similar player to OHQ of wanting to take whatever he can get, and I still feel like Apollo and Kiwi Kid are just clashing ideals. Apollo just wants to be very, very laid back, just farm, just go slow, where Kiwi Kid, I've said this for two or three years, he is that kind of guy that if he sees a play, he is going to take it. Whether the rest of his team follows up or not, if he sees that flash hook or that flash pulverize, he's going to take it. And sometimes it creates this awesome chain of events where all of a sudden Dignitas gets rolling and sometimes it goes the opposite way and Kiwi Kid gets caught out and the other team is coming at him. Trance has met Kiwi Kid once before in the promotion tournament back when Trance was on Fusion and he lost to Dignitas and Kiwi Kid. I think this time he gets the better of him and I think the TDK get to move on into the actual qualifying tournament.
0: Yeah, this is going to be a really close one. On the one hand, I really like the coaching staff of Dignitas. Raz obviously wasn't there for the entirety of the split, but theoretically, he should be playing a significant part in their prep for a best of five. And there is something to be said about if you're an LCS team, you get to scrim certain quality of teams. You get to have that kind of experience in these kinds of series in a way that a challenger team doesn't necessarily have all those opportunities. But on the other hand, the one thing that Dignitas has proven they have no idea how to deal with is a really good bot lane. I don't know what their answer to OQ is. Kira would have to be camping that lane consistently And it's just not something he's done. I think that OQ can take the lane swap in every game, ensure that he's going to have resources, and then basically say, Apollo, you come deal with me. And I don't know if Apollo can. I think it's going to be a five-game series. I give the slight edge to Dignitas because I do believe that Shifter has a lot going for him right now compared to where Alex itches and Billy Boss can take advantage of the mistakes that Flair seems to be making on a play-to-play basis. But it's going to be close. And people who are just expecting either of these teams to roll over the other are going to be in for a surprise. I, I get the feeling at the end of this. But what's really surprising is that whichever team wins this is being thrown into Renegades, a team that we thought for sure was going to be locked into 10th place. And they make that deal with TDK which is kind of the reason I hope that TDK wins in in a completely just fun storyline kind of way because TDK makes that deal with the devil. We can't play Ninja now. We have to win this series in order to get to the promotion tournament. So we're going to give away Ninja and Seraph in order to make that happen. And now Renegades have just reinvented themselves around those two players, allowed Freeze to have that breathing room Walter, is Renegades as good as the last couple weeks have made them look? I would say that the quality of players on
1: Renegades has improved. I think Seraph and Ninja are definitely improvements over RF slash Flares and Alex each. You still have Crumbs doing Crumbs things. Sometimes he makes some brilliant moves. Sometimes he's dumb. Hakuo has been mediocre. I'm still very bummed out that Remy decided the LCS wasn't for her and, and ended up leaving the team. And Freeze has been fantastic. Freeze has been arguably you know one of the best eighty carries in North America. It just, the team around him kind of sets him up for failure. And adding Seraph and Ninja gives Renegades uh, alternate carries to take some of the pressure off of Freeze. Seraph has literally just Seraph'd his way to victories by, I'm a split push god. I know how to put pressure on the map, split pushing against the enemy team, and I know when to teleport on Graves. I know when to teleport on Lissandra. I know when to teleport and flank the enemy team, and all of a sudden they don't know where I came from. He's fantastic and is arguably the best teleport user in North America, and that's pretty pathetic when you'd say, oh, he was on, what, three different teams this split? (laughs) So I think the quality of players on this team has definitely gone up, and whether it's Dignitas or TDK, I think they have a very strong advantage uh, in this first round of the promotion tournament.
0: Yeah, this is one of those I could see easily being a 3-0. And Renegades, to their credit, they went 4-1 in their last five games in the LCS ever since they made the Ninja move. And I agree with you. I think that, you know, we talked about Dignitas and TDK just a second ago about how we were wondering where the second carry was going to come from for both of these teams, We don't have that question for Renegades. They've got three potential options. And as long as Crumbs doesn't lose them a game, and Hakuo does enough to let Freeze be the carry he wants to be, it's very hard to see anyone in this tournament really matching what they're capable of. I mean, obviously, sample size is something that we have to keep in mind, and they didn't necessarily play the highest quality teams in all of their games but this was a team that was already showing signs of promise even before they made these moves it was a team that we were noticing they could play really well for the first 15 minutes or so and then it came down to shot calling mistakes and not knowing exactly how to capitalize on their leads and as they're getting more and more experience they're playing more games they're they're getting used to each other and getting used to these high pressure situations i think they figured that out and Now they have the talent to do what they want during those points of the game, and that makes this team very scary. I could see this being a 3-0 no matter who gets through. And honestly, I'm just looking forward to the highlight videos that are going to come after, because you know that there are going to be tons of fun plays to watch, some crazy freeze double or triple kills, some ninja highlights. But man, Walter... If only there was a place that we could go to make highlight videos for people like you and I that aren't so good at the technical side of things. See, there is a place. I think we've had a discussion with them recently, and that's Vibby.com. Oh, right, Vibby.com. How could I forget after how many times we've mentioned them on this podcast? It's almost like they're a sponsor or something. It really is a great site. Uh, I love working with these guys, and I love the way that they've set up the site. I have done some experimenting that you guys will hopefully get to see come to fruition soon with just how you can take clips whether it be YouTube videos, Twitch VODs, even Vimeo nowadays, it's an incredibly user-friendly interface in order to set these things up. Just plug in your timestamps for exactly what it is you want to highlight and you'll be good to go. You can embed it on whatever site you're looking for and really get involved in the community as you work off of these sponsored fan pages and interact with highlighted users in that way it is a very fun program to use if you're someone like me that likes having projects like this but doesn't want to put in the time and effort to learn how to do all of the programming and uh, special effects behind it to become one of those youtube highlight gods i highly recommend that you go to Vibby.com today And check it out. And please, send your Vibbies our way. We love seeing what you guys create. And I guarantee you that something in this tournament is going to catch your eye. So you might as well go ahead, make that highlight video, share it with your friends, share it with us on Twitter, Vibby.com. Go check it out. We've got one more series, Walter, that we have to check out before this is all said and done. And that is Impulse versus Apex. This is a series that I feel like opinion on how it's going to go is very divided based on what it is you value in a team. What are your thoughts just looking at this matchup?
1: I think Apex is going to crush Impulse. I think they're just going to absolutely crush them. I don't see a single lane in which Impulse is better. I don't see any place that Impulse is a better team than, than Apex, except maybe support. And even that, we're going. We're talking about Gate, who's played three different positions in the LCS this split. That is two more positions than High this year. High's only played one position. Gate has played three, and he's going against Expecial, who is one of the OG supports, one of the original supports in North America. So I, I have to give him the experience level. I, I just don't see an easy path to victory for Team Impulse when you're talking about Chris and, and Keen and Shrimp slash even the Jungle and Police and Expecial, who have proven that they can literally play any style, any combination of champions that they
0: want. I, I don't see an easy path to victory. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I know there are a lot of people who will try to defend Impulse. They'll bring up the fact that When we finally saw them at their full roster, they have had some very good games from Proxen in the past. Pyrian has proven to be a very valuable poke mid laner. But right now, if you look at where the meta is, I just don't know what they're supposed to do. Fang is not an amazing tank top laner. That's never been his thing. Chris can be whatever Apex needs him to be, because that's just the way he's been playing and He's been playing long enough and has enough challenger experience, if nothing else, to really understand how to be that switchblade. And that's, I guess, what it really comes down to me for Apex is I feel like every single player on this team is a switchblade. Keen, pulling out the mid lane graves, that's something I never thought I was going to see, but he played it brilliantly multiple times, even after we'd seen it coming. He's just kind of reclaimed this notion of being... The guy that plays literally everything, but he's doing it on a team that actually allows him to highlight his strength because instead of teams being able to zone in and focus on him early, there's this threat from police and especially in the bot lane that has to be dealt with because if you let police scale, it's over. We saw that in their series against TDK. Once police got a- enough ahead of OQ, or at least it put OQ down. Enough that that wasn't going to be TDK's path to victory, Apex was just able to hard carry from there. And and to me, it it's really a matter of identity, team identity, and how it's forged. And I understand that there are a lot of people that will say, "Oh, but Impulse had all this time; they had you know a whole split of the LCS; they have an infrastructure behind them. You know, they should be able to keep up with a challenger team." But this isn't just any challenger team. Let's not forget Impulse didn't want to keep the spot. They were
1: actively trying to sell it throughout the course of the offseason and just at the last minute was able to you know, haggle together some sort of team. I'm, I, I don't see it. I don't think Impulse wants to be around. I feel bad for the players that they have that it doesn't seem like their organization really cares all that much. I don't see an easy path to victory for them. Yeah, Proxen had some good games. Fang had a couple good games. Tyrion has been a a you know average mid laner. But like you said, against the the switch, the switchblade, the Swiss army knife capabilities of every single player on Apex, I I just find it hard to believe that Impulse is gonna make this a series, let alone take a single game off of them.
0: Yeah. I'm gonna go out on a limb here, and this is something that I have a feeling will be used against me if I'm wrong on this from people uh, on Twitter and on Reddit and everything else. But I think impulse is actually the weakest team of this tournament. I think Dignitas being where they are is symptomatic of a lot of games that could have gone either way. <laughs> that just all bounced against them. And yes, I do believe there's something inherent in how Dignitas shot calls that has made that worse. But There is nothing about Impulse that excites me or impresses me. They haven't done anything in recent play that I found particularly surprising or interesting. It just really seems like if they were going to put something together, they would have done it by now. What we have are a bunch of guys that were picked up out of solo queue who still play like guys picked out of solo queue. Except for M.A.S.H., who is still somehow in the LCS, despite all of our hopes that that wouldn't happen again. So, I don't know. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly on this Apex thing, though I'm not going to be surprised when people start riding the impulse bandwagon just after what happened in Europe and the supposed gap between the best team in the Challenger series and the worst team in the LCS. Walter, what do you think The line is on Unicorn. I am going to say Apex minus 150. It is Apex minus 137. There's money to be had. There's a lot of money to be had. Free money, folks. That's particularly low. That's the one I will recommend. Actually, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to recommend that if you're going for Apex anyway, if you believe in us, you should take the minus one and a half handicap and get plus 150. Yeah, I like that. Because, you know, a 3-0 is hard to do, even when you're significantly better than the other team. Yes. But Apex has pulled off 3-1s pretty consistently. Yep. And I think that that is very much in play. I don't have a lot of faith in Impulse, and I do have a lot of faith in Apex. But that brings us to our final question of the podcast, Walter. If we believe that Renegades makes it through, and we believe that Apex makes it through, who is the third team that joins us in the LCS next split? I think that it is the winner of the TDK versus Dignitas match. Mm-hmm.
1: And since earlier I said I thought the TDK is going to win it, I think it's going to be TDK. But I don't I don't think Impulse makes it back into the LCS
0: either way. Yeah. I, I'm with you. I picked Dignitas before, so I'm going to stick to that as my pick here. But I agree with you. I think Impulse is the weakest team in this tournament. Yep, and I would. I would completely agree. It's one of those things where, if impulse comes back, is this a team that we see getting better? And I understand this is why I'm in the prefer auto relegation camp that many people have backed off of nowadays. And I'll go ahead and, and sit on my unpopular opinion corner here, but I don't think impulse. If you take them back in the LCS, you give them LCS money and and allow them. Make moves. I don't think anything happens. I think unlike a team like Giants that took their investment and did something with it to prove that they deserve to hold on to a spot as an ownership and as a brand. I don't think Impulse has done anything to demonstrate that kind of faith from people that would hope that they'd improve going forward. Whereas whether it's TDK or Apex, I genuinely believe that the infrastructure built around these organizations is something that I would love to see get foster. And whether it's Dignitas continuing to be an LCS threat, which God would it be weird to see the LCS without Dignitas. I'm not sure I'm ready for that kind of world, even as we're getting very, very close to that being a thing. But pretty much anything would be more exciting than Impulse coming back. I wasn't ready for a world without Kiwi Kid when I heard rumors he was about to retire before the spring. I, I mean, wasn't ready for that. I mean, I've had to live in a world in which Good Game University no longer existed for a couple of years now. So I'm aware that <laughs> all things die eventually. But it just, it, it, it's a matter of when and how. And this could be it for one long-standing org and one org that I don't think will be missed by very many people, should they? That want. which is broken can always be reforged. I don't know if I want Nintendo to an LCS team anymore. I gotta be honest with you. <laughs> No offense, no flame, <laughs> no uh, no anything intended. I think uh, I think we cannot reforge Good Game University. I, th- I think there might have been a four month period of time in which Shifter and Nintendo decided that playing together in the future was a bad idea, but. You know what was a good idea? Listening to this podcast. I'm sure you agree. So you're going to go on soundcloud.com slash esports rough drafts and hit that subscribe button or go to iTunes, type in rough drafts on the podcast section, hit the subscribe button and leave us a nice little review. Maybe give us some five stars. You know, this all helps us out. So if you enjoyed this podcast, you should definitely do those things. You can also find us on social media. I am at RedShirtKing on Twitter. Walter, where can the nice people at home find you? You guys can find me at CADs
1: underscore LOL and at SlingshotEsports.com. That includes you, Alex.
0: Shout out to my brother. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, listen in, Alex. Go read his stuff. This seems entirely reasonable to me. But anyway, we will be back later on this week. We've still got the european and north american semifinals previews slash quarterfinals recaps to go we have not forgotten about those don't worry about that people they are coming along the way be sure to check out unicorn.com slash community for all of the write-ups we do for all of these podcasts and until then goodbye internet